is, you know, for you and the other person. I think as physicians, we're so often trained to be compassionate for the other person, but not for ourselves, or maybe in a relationship with your mom, right? I like to work on challenging relationships as a coach. And so whether it's with your teenagers or your mom or your spouse, it's the same thing, right? So it's, you have to include yourself because that where we get frustrated and resentful is when it's always about the other person. And it doesn't also work if it's always about the other person. So what would love do is usually some kind of compromise or maybe it's a way that everybody can win. And in that idea of like not fixing people, love would not fix people. Love would let people show up exactly as they are. And perhaps also when they're struggling or going through something, you they need to fix it themselves. And we often think as docs that our job is to fix it and manage it. And we can't always do that. And that's not always the most compassionate, loving Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from Physician Financial Services, a business widely recognized in the physician community for disability insurance. Lawrence B. Keller, CFP, has been in the insurance and financial services industry since 1990. Unlike medicine, which has a standardized path that physicians must take to gain the education, training, and experience requirements necessary to obtain board certification, the insurance and financial services industry does not. While he might not be a doctor's first phone call regarding their insurance needs, he is often their last. Find Larry at Dr. Podcast network.com forward slash Larry Keller or at the link in the description of this show. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of medicine, marriage, and money, Dr. Jesse Mahoney. I met this board certified pediatrician and mindful life coach at Brave Enough 2019 while she watched me clumsily dump bags of breast milk into thermoses for the plane ride back home. We had not met the entire conference, but she kept me company that last hour and helped me feel less embarrassed about my spilled breast milk puddles in the hotel lobby. Dr. Mahoney is a mindful life coach, a yoga teacher, a physician wellness leader, and as of yesterday, a podcaster. She is co-host of the Mindful Healers podcast, which launched yesterday and releases weekly episodes on Sundays. She is the loving wife to Mark and a mom to three young adult sons, ages 24, 21, and 15. They were a med school baby, a residency baby, and an attending baby. (laughs) Yay, thanks so much for coming on my show, Dr. Jesse. You're welcome, I love your applause. So tell us, my first question to all of my guests, or absolutely a definitely required question for this podcast, what is your definition of marital interdependence? Or in other words, what makes a successful marriage? That's maybe your hardest question, I just want to say, because I think it's really different for everyone. And for me, I, as I thought about this, loyalty and commitment, just, but that comes from deciding it's a good marriage. And This is actually something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I was asked by a different female physician, 
with at one point recently, did I have an amazing marriage? She knew I had been married for a really long time and she wanted to and knew about some struggles that had come up in the last part of my life. And she said, but yeah, but is your marriage amazing? So I started to really think about what makes an amazing marriage. And what I came up with is, is if you notice that it's amazing and you decide it's amazing, then it's amazing. And so it's really a conscious decision because no marriage is perfect, right? When you, and when you first start in a relationship, you see all the good things. That's why it's amazing and it's new and it's exciting. And so if you commit to deciding, and I use this word amazing a bit lightheartedly, right? It's, it is amazing. And so this idea that even like in the muck or difficult times, it can still be amazing if you focus on that good stuff. And that isn't Pollyanna, like ignore all the other, or if something's bad happening, don't say it, but it's more of your intention and approach to the marriage. The other things I think that make an amazing marriage that I've learned more recently is this idea when you do get stuck and I, full disclosure, I think everybody gets stuck at certain points and I've been married for almost 28 years. So I guarantee you, you all get stuck at some point. And it's just, I use the word stuck also lightheartedly, right? Frustrated or in the muck and really asking yourself this question, what would love do? And it's not love for the other person, which I think we're often kind of trained like, well, let me fix this. It's love for both people and and in our case, love for our kids and love for our families and life and all of that. And when you come from that space, it isn't about like a winner or a loser or a my way or your way. It's just like, how do you create more love moving forward? And love can be this sort of vague idea, but it's like a goodness. And again, it gets back to that approach. And then the one other thing I'll bring up is I used to really try really hard as a doctor, mom and wife to fix things and fix other people. And so that's something that I've come to really in the last five years is there is no fixing needed. And my kids are ever grateful. And my husband, I know, is is much more appreciative of that approach that you really, you know, they are who they are and they're not going to change. And really after 28 years, they're really not going to change. But it's not that they actually, I should say they're going to continue to change, but they're not going to change into the person you want them to be. And so letting people bloom just as they are, whether they're 21 year olds and want to make mistakes or, you know, a 50 year old husband, if you let them be who they are and stop trying to fix everyone, everyone is happier. And I think I had this idea, you know, in our doctor role, and I'm a pediatrician. So I like guiding parents and guiding families and, you know, And the idea is if you guide a little bit less and just enjoy the ride and the process, it really can work out better than you expect. Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. 28 years. So for 28 years, you've been choosing to tell yourself the story. Your marriage is amazing. Even when you get stuck and in the muck and I'm actually going to be honest here. I haven't been telling myself that for 28 years. So probably really only in the last five years. And in the beginning, of course, most marriages are amazing because we're really excited about them. And we'll talk a little bit about my story, but it's more of a tool that allowed me to kind of even out the bumps. And so it just made things that much more amazing and kind of, I like to say to people, like when we up-level things, that was the trick for me that really up-leveled things. Not that you know, it wasn't bad before, but it changed everything so much so for the better. No, I get it. Okay. I'm excited to hear more. And my, I, I loved how you said, you know, you ask yourself in your, in, in the stuck situations, what would love do, or how do you create more love? Cause that's really, that's like my, my new power virtue for two, 2021 is unconditional love, unconditional love. 
And like whenever I get stuck, whenever I get overwhelmed, whenever I start comparing myself to other people, if I just can focus on unconditional love, I feel like that kind of pulls me out of any sadness or sorrow I'm in. And that's that question, what would love do? Sometimes I use it as a physician or in your family relationships, you can use love, but you can also say, what would compassion do? Because sometimes maybe you can't get to love. <laughs> or what, and I'll just, I like to be honest. And the compassion is, you know, for you and the other person. I think as physicians, we're so often trained to be compassionate for the other person, but not for ourselves, or maybe in a relationship with your mom, right? I like to work on challenging relationships as a coach. And so whether it's with your teenagers or your mom or your spouse, it's the same thing, right? So it's, you have to include yourself because that where we get frustrated and resentful is when it's always about the other person. And it doesn't also work if it's always about the other person. So what would love do is usually some kind of compromise, or maybe it's a way that everybody can win. And in that idea of like not fixing people, love would not fix people. Love would let people show up exactly as they are. And perhaps also when they're struggling or going through something, you they need to fix it themselves. And we often think as docs that our job is to fix it, manage it. And we can't always do that. And that's not always the most compassionate, loving thing to do. Okay, we're going to check back in here with the relationship with your mom and relationship with your children. After I talk, we talk about you and your hubby. Tell us, okay, so you've been together for 28 years. Tell us a little bit about, about you and then you and your hubby. Go ahead and start with you, I guess. Tell me a little bit about where you're from and what you're doing now. And then we'll talk about your hubby. I grew up in Berkeley, California. So for those of you who know that, it's a fun and we'll call it a lively, eclectic place. Was and still is. So I grew up there in the 70s, which was quite a experience in kind of a very hippie family with a VW bus. And we traveled a lot, very kind of unusual upbringing. And I'll throw that out because it's kind of the antithesis of my husband's upbringing, but although he grew up quite nearby. And I became a pediatrician and I worked in physician wellness for 20 years of my career at a large HMO. And I still do a lot of physician wellness work through the California Medical Association and my local medical society. And of course, doing coaching is tied because to me, it was the most effective tool to help people with physician wellness and wellness in challenging careers and really helped me during some difficult spots. So what I'm doing now, actually, I pivoted this year is running my own coaching business called Pause and Presence. And I do what I call mindful coaching, which is a combination of bringing mindfulness to coaching because this idea of mindfulness is really noticing and being aware. And then moving forward with intention is where the coaching comes in. And what I found for both myself and for others is that adding in that mindfulness piece makes it all work so much better. It's kind of like greasing the wheels. And when I came to coaching, I came at the same time, a few years ago, I got into back into yoga. I'd always kind of dabbled in yoga and I hired a coach and I ultimately ended up being a yoga instructor and a coach because I found the tools so um, synergistic. And when I trained to do both of them, I trained to do them both at the same time. And so they're just sort of integrated and overlap. And I find that the tools together work so much better than apart. So what I do now is coach people who have struggling relationships and it, I help them turn them into amazing ones. That's the word I like to use with mindfulness and intention. And I also help people who are kind of in my phase of their career. You don't have to be my age, but 
feeling like they want something more, something different. Perhaps it's a career transition. Sometimes it's just learning to like your current career as it is. But when you get to that point where you feel like there should be something more and I don't really know who I am and where I want to go, the mindful coaching can be a really cool piece. And the last piece of the coaching that I love ties into the mindfulness again. It's like minimalism and emotional and physical decluttering. So I'm a total declutterer. And I think that coaching is sort of a form of decluttering your relationships and your life and getting rid of all that stuff that doesn't serve you. And so a lot of the people I coach, what I find is you have all of those things. You have overwhelmed relationships, overwhelmed work situations, perhaps inboxes and overwhelmed houses with children and stuff and clutter that you old stories that you want to get rid of it all just is a a piece of it. And then these days I teach a lot of yoga. We were talking about this just before the podcast because I love it. And because I see it as a way to just help people get into mindfulness easily. Yoga for me is not about standing on your head at all. It's really about breathing and thinking about life differently and approaching life differently. So I infuse those sort of coaching themes into yoga and make it just this like beautiful hour where you feel better and your brain thinks a little bit differently and you can start to infuse some of those concepts. Like my class this weekend was on abundance and love because those are my words for 2021. (laughs) And so just like bringing that in, getting it like into your heart space and feeling better. It might sound a little hokey, but it feels amazing. And I just love it as a way to change people's lives. And And you guys do poses? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's true yoga. It's true yoga and poses, but you don't, you know, I always like to say, don't stand on your head because a lot of people say, well, I haven't done yoga in a long time and I'm not flexible. And in my mind, yoga is totally accessible to anyone. It's really just pausing and being on your mat. And we do a lot of poses and it feels great. And the movement feels great. So it's a way to move without and be mindful without having to just sit there. And so it is a strength builder and rewires so much in your brain. So it's fun. That's what I'm doing now. And then tell us about your husband. When did you guys meet and, and, and how did you fall in love? We met in high school, actually. So he was 14 and I was 15 when we went on our first date. Yeah, crazy, crazy. And it was interesting. The thought about it was so long ago. I'm not sure how we found love. What I really see as I think if he told the story, he would say he knew immediately And I'm going to fess up that I'm not sure that that was true for me, but that we very much became really good friends. And in those days, you know, you talked on the phone all the time, real phones with long cords and in your bedroom. And I had one of those like pink things that had a, you know, a top to it. And that's what you talked on. And so we became very much really good friends and were involved in a lot of things like the outdoors club where you go on hiking and camping trips. And I was thinking about this. We watched tons of movies, but you had to go to Blockbuster to get your movie in those days. And so that was part of it, right? You would drive. That was part of the day you drive and you'd get your movie and you pick it out and you'd get some snacks and then you'd, you know, so it was, I think in that process of just really getting to know each other and spending time together is where we really became, I would say we became amazing friends and then the love really came from there. And then we had a, we were young. Yeah. So you don't necessarily know even what that is. And that may be why I don't know what it was, but we were quite serious before I went to college. I'm a year older. So we had a long distance relationship for five years in college. And then we got married, actually, 
So two years after I graduated from college and a year after he graduated from college before I started medical school. So yeah, I went to Dartmouth and my husband went to Cornell and they are a six hour drive. Exactly. (laughs) And I know because I did it all the time from New Hampshire to Vermont or New Hampshire through Vermont to New York. And so we did it all the time. And I think it was actually a really nice way to have a relationship. There were a lot of downsides, but you had a lot of space and you had a lot of time to sort of grow into who you were and he could do his, be who he was. And we still had that relationship. I will say it really wasn't easy. And there were many times where we were like this, I don't know if this is a good idea, but in the end, clearly, I don't know, he's my person and I'm his person that became clear, right? So it was like, well, we'll get to the other side of this at some point. And, and that we did. And in those days, there were no cell phones. There was no internet right? So it was like pay phones and letters and driving, which once again, is that mindfulness. And I think that's where I get to the loyalty and commitment. Like you just do it day by day. And I think that may be a message for people's relationships now. I think we're so bent on sort of the urgency and the response and the, and because we can, and you know, the other person's not answering the phone. And in those days, like that wasn't a possibility. So you really kind of got to sit with your feelings and, and the relationship. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of long distance relationships, especially during med school and stuff like that. Other people on my podcast, that's just like, yeah, it's not easy. This wasn't fun. <laughs> Don't recommend it. Not fun, but but looking back, maybe, you know, 28 years later, it, there was a lot of good to it. I mean, I'd rather not have done it. I, will, I won't say that, but it is what it is, right? And so we learned from it. And then you fell in love over like a period of years. And then what has, how has the love grown or changed or evolved? I would say it's interesting. I feel like it's actually very much the same. Like once you sort of decide, that sounds boring, but once you decide that it's your person or, you know, you're just sort of in it for the long haul. I I will say, so I was talking to my podcast co-host, Ni Chang, and she and her husband apparently never argue. And that is not the case for us. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that someone would never argue. And so for us, you know, it's not all easy. We're actually super different people. And he's much more of an introvert, quiet person who likes many different things than I do. And I need people and being out and friends and socializing. And so we've learned more about each other and found solutions to that. And I think that's the growth part is really getting to the point where you really let that other person be them and grow into themselves. And you can still have your relationship And I think just this idea that you are going to disagree about things and teenagers, of course, always lead to disagreements. And so it's just this ability perhaps to let each other grow and in, in your own way. And it's constant relearning because I think that's where you get annoyed. Like he thinks that I like something and I'm like, well, actually not anymore. You know, I'm, I'm doing this now, or I'm this person now. And so that's how I think it, it perhaps changes. And, you know, we've both been through a number of difficult periods. I had a number of health problems and he had some mental health problems over time. And he's a, a lawyer and went to law school and I'm a doctor and went to medical school. And we did that at different times with young children. And so all of that brings up so many challenges. And so I think just realizing that there are temporary challenges in the moment, they don't feel temporary at all. You're really mad and really angry. <laughs> and then you kind of get back to that like commitment in the end. And This idea of like, well, what makes an amazing marriage? I don't think an amazing marriage is all easy. And in fact, my parents fought a lot too. So for me, it doesn't stress me out. And they're married 53, 54 years later now. 
And so I'm like, oh, that doesn't, it's partly to me, it's like, if you love someone, you are going to speak up. And maybe in my mind, if you don't, it's the opposite. But I would say my husband would say the opposite. He would not speak up. That would be his measure of love. And mine would be to speak up. Okay. And is that okay with you, him being more passive about it or not? Well, see, I used to try to change him, but now I know that that's not going to work. And so, yes, it's okay with me now. But there was a time period where I was like, huh, you know, is this really what I want? And so I say that because I know that people will go through this themselves. Like when you're married this long, you get to a point like, huh, like maybe, you know, maybe I want to be with someone who likes people more and wants to do all these things. And then this was something that I was going to say. It's this idea that the grass isn't greener somewhere else. And this came up recently. It's like greener where you water it. And so this idea of noticing what's good, and I'm from California, you're from Texas, right? Lots of droughts, right? Use your water, water it well. And that's because it isn't necessarily better anywhere else. And in fact, it's really, I think all good marriages are just commitment to each other and to allowing each person to be them along the way, whatever that looks like. And it might not look like what you want. You know, I wanted for a long time, I thought maybe if I just find the right social thing, he'll like it. He's not a social person. I can go find my social people and be social and do all of that and get, it reminds me of this idea of the want match. And you just realize like, he's my rock and my solid person and and I can go out and do my other things and enjoy that. Because yeah, what if you what if you did find somebody who is more social and then they were out and you guys were each doing different things and never saw each other? I mean, you just never know, right? Yeah, the grass is greener where you water it. I love that. And you, you mentioned that he grew up quite differently than you. Yeah, so he grew up also in the Bay Area, but he grew up in a, he said that one of the reasons he was so attracted to me was because of like my family and we were kind of wild and crazy, but really this like loving hippie family. And he grew up in a family in Piedmont, which is, it was a very kind of 80s high powered parents. And his parents went through a stormy divorce and there was you know, a lot of disruption and mine have been married for 53 years, right? So it's this sort of opposite and not, I think there's love in both places, but look, you always want what you don't have. And so his growing up was very traditional. His dad had a traditional job. His mom was a stay-at-home mom, you know, and so compared to my family, which was very not traditional. And so it's very interesting when you bring those two backgrounds together it can um, lead to lots of interesting thoughts about children and, and their lives. Yeah. And how you should raise your children. Yeah. So what was the big, like, what's been the biggest, I mean, your, your, your kids are now young adults. What would you tell yourself going back? Or what would you tell somebody else? Like I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old when we get into little tiffs, me and my husband about, you know, bedtime or <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely more strict, like one, two, three, and pictures like just, okay, just remain calm. She'll do it in her own time. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Well, I don't think there's a right way to do it. And so in my mind, it's not worth arguing over at all. Now I'm laughing because I think probably as the pediatrician and the mom, I probably got the say also. So it's a little bit not fair, but my husband also, I think wanted me to have the say, but I'm also super easygoing. And my approach after having been a pediatrician is to see all these parents stress and struggle and raising three kids and they're going to turn out amazing. And again, if you decide they're going to be amazing and you love them up, like that's really what they need. And if you think when I look at my kids now, like the long game, 
this idea that like bedtime, uh, you know, it's not that they're not going to go to bed at a certain time, but one of them may have issues. My oldest was a terrible sleeper and never wanted to go to bed. And he sleeps all by himself. Actually, not by himself. Now he has a serious girlfriend himself, but, but he, you know, it, it was not an issue. He outgrew it. And my youngest son is an incredible sleeper and would sleep anywhere. And so I'm the same parents and they came out differently. And so this idea that you just come at it again from a place of love, that's actually what I would say, even it works really well for parenting too. And boundaries do come from love. And so it's not like you let them stay up all night because that wouldn't be loving for each person. But whether they go to bed at 8.30 or 9.30 or 7.30 or I really do think it has more to do with what works for you and your relationship. And so some people really need evening time or they're not a night person or whatever it is. And so those people need kids who go to bed and like then together they have to decide that. But more importantly, noticing and it's that mindful piece again, where you both come from and why you think the way you think. And then you could say like, well, okay, what do we want to do together? I saw this, I think it was yesterday, this quote that actually really blew my mind. It was this idea that we spend all this time planning a wedding and we spent zero time planning our relationships in our life. Was that you? I don't know who it was that posted that. No, that was not me. Not, yeah, I saw that. I've seen that the past few days too. I don't know where. It really struck me because that's 100% true. And so I think the reason that mindfulness and coaching and intention like can be so helpful in marriages is because that's what it's about. Whether you're doing it 25 years in wh where I was or whether you're doing it, you know, at the beginning, it doesn't mean you have to set out a calendar with your goals, but having those moments where you're mindful and thoughtful about who you are and where you want to go. And you can, of course, always change your mind and readapt. And I think that's the one thing I would say for the parenting, right? We, people have one kid who it, this works and the next one, it doesn't work at all. And so you're constantly, my three boys are, my three boys are completely different and they're all going to be awesome. Yeah. No, my same thing. Like our youngest, she goes to sleep like clockwork every night, 7.30 PM. I mean, sometimes we're a little late if we're like watching a movie together or doing some family activity together, but she'll go to sleep and she won't wake up till 8 AM the next day and she'll have good naps. So she loves to sleep. My oldest has never liked to sleep. Like when I had when I was a baby and my toddler, my oldest, it would be all three of us in the crib so that I could get the baby down, try and the toddler was would cling to me still. And then sometimes the dog would join us too. I mean, it wouldn't be all night, but it would like, so I could get them down. <laughs> I have been there. That was my oldest and he sleeps great now. Yeah, I have, I am. I have faith and, you know, unconditional love is my word. So you just, I really think that's the the answer. And, and it's the answer for relationships and parenting. Like we're all human and we all have our bumpiness and you will look back so fondly on like those nights of not being able to get her to sleep and like the fun of that later on, I promise not in the moment at all, but later on. So I often say like, it's a long game. And I think that's true for relationships and money too, right? It's a long game. So, so yeah, let's speaking of money, let's shift into money a little bit. What, how does that look like in your family? How do you guys talk about money or take care of money together? And so it's so interesting. And I, I tried to think about what I could add to your, your podcast and what's different. And I'm going to come in as, so we've actually had a lot of strife about money and we think about money very differently. And yet I coach a lot of people in marriages and they all have a lot of strife about money too, in very different ways. So what's worked 
totally well for us. And in part, I think because we got married right before I started medical school and my husband was a waiter and a poet at the time. So we had no money. So all of our money is lumped together because there's no, we had zero money when we started zero (laughs) negative. And so all our money is in a pot and there's no like conversation or, you know, we each can spend on whatever we want. Nobody, we don't discuss it. We don't spend a lot of money. I mean, we'd probably share if we were going to buy a new stove or whatever, but you know, even there, it just doesn't matter. Like there's no tension in that sense. And, but the tension is that my husband doesn't really care about money. He doesn't, he was, he would have been actually happy to be a poet his whole life and a waiter and have no money. And that's not the case for me because I, so I think this is the growing up. He grew up in a family where there was plenty of money. And I grew up in a family where money was always a conversation. And there was always a worry that there wasn't enough money. There was an adult. I wonder if that's true, but that was the conversation anyway, that there was always potentially not enough and a very much scarcity mentality. And I think it, to some degrees, it was because it was an unstable situation. And so I, I, our entire marriage have always wanted him to approach money differently and take it more seriously and help me plan and figure it out in advance. And he just does not care. So that has, I would say, been sort of a conflict. And I have worked with many women who are frustrated with their husbands for the same thing. And they see it as a measure of their love, right? If they loved me, they would sit down and help me refinance the house and do all of these things. And yet it's just not of interest to him. On the other hand, he's very cautious about money and he has a stable job and he's just like, no, I just like it. They put money in there and it'll all be fine. And, you know, he's a super hard worker and he is, he does work in law, but again, not in big corporate law. Like he just does his thing and he actually works from home and works on cases and he's a great lawyer, but what he loves is just to do the law. Like he's not into the other piece of it. And so it's really interesting because I very much for years wanted him to be different. I wanted him to care about this. And I thought it was a measure of caring about us. And now I have really come to realize it's not. So the whole way through, I've had to do all the money, which I think for many women, that's not true. And I don't actually like money either. So I'm probably your atypical person. It's not, I like it. I just, it. it's something that I just always felt kind of foreign. And I felt like I didn't know, and I wasn't good at. And recently I got coached by someone. She said, well, why do you think you're not good at it? And she made me list out all the reasons I was good at it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, I get it. So, you know, I have a retirement. I have a house. I have sent my kids to college. She's like, it looks to me like you've done a pretty good job. And so I think it's just your mindset about it. And that's where I I throw in that you can have these differences. And we've come to a place where if I really want help, I ask. And I see now, I hear from some people like, there's a beauty in him letting me do what I want to. And I never really saw that as a gift. And now I'm like, oh, check this out. So you have to just change your mindset about it. And it doesn't, I think my key message is it's not a measure of love. And you can have two different approaches that will work out really well. So my husband would never be an entrepreneur going into side gigs doing like, he would just be like that. Why would you want to spend your time doing that? You should read a book or listen to music and enjoy, you know, what your backyard. And like, that's his just, he's like a very slow pace person, which I think the balance is really good. And his slow and steadiness to it has probably actually helped us succeed in money. If I'm going to give him credit to, right. He doesn't do all these wild and crazy things. And here we are, and it looks pretty good. And I'm like, how do we get there? So I think 
I think it's just a different kind of perspective than the, you know, we're going to get there fast and we're going to be able to do all these things. And there's a lot of joy in that, that sometimes I see a lot in this um, space these days of an angst and a pressure to make it all work out early and soon. And I think looking back, I am 51 now, (laughs) looking back like this, it actually worked out pretty well. And just enjoying the ride and enjoying the time with your kids. I worked a lot part time when my kids were little and worked more and less and had more and less clinical time and more and less leadership roles along the way. And being mindful of that, I think was really helpful. And it wasn't always about filling up the bank account. It was about spending time with each other. And I have to probably thank my husband for that because he was always like, of course you should do that. Why wouldn't you? Why did that doesn't make any sense? And so there's a real balance to it that is really important. Yeah. I mean, times are greatest, our, our most precious asset. I totally agree. I never really thought about that, how like your two backgrounds, he came from money, you necessarily didn't. And so, you know, you, you kind of come from two different places, your money mindset initially. I never really thought about that with me and Victor either, because we're kind of, we're both on the same page. And I think we both kind of came from a scarcity, a little bit of scarcity with money backgrounds. Not that like neither of us were like poor off and like, not like that, but we just, yeah, there were difficult, it was difficult conversations around money in both of our households. I think that that early imprinting is really powerful. And again, it's funny because I look back and I'm like, I don't even know what the money situation was. I just know what I heard from it. And perhaps even the words I heard, maybe it was about the tone and maybe it was about, you know, my mom tends to be on the more anxious side. And so maybe it was just her anxiety, but like, I can see that it is like a deep seated rooted belief in my mind about the scarcity of money. And it came from that. And it strikes me as I'm thinking about your two little kids. I think it's too late for me. But um, as we talk about money, I know that my words and probably even more so my tone about it has really impacted my children's approach to money. And I can see it so clearly in the way that they think about it. And so, so for you, because you have time, really think about the messages that you want to send and the mindset that you think would be really helpful as you raise your children. Right. So yes, give us an example of like what your sons say or do now that prove to you. Well, so they think a lot about working really hard, which is clearly the message that I gave around working really hard and needing, you know, money being kind of hard and scarce. I So I shared that with them because I grew up with that. And so they're really of this mentality that they're not going to do it that way. And they're not going to worry about it. And it actually looks very different because my oldest is very much like service, Peace Corps, public health minded. He won't, none of my kids will go into medicine, I don't think, but making the world a better place. And that's, he just has this very generous, kind heart. He's supposed to be in the Peace Corps now, although during COVID he's not. So he, his trip was canceled and he, but he does a lot of work in immigration. And so, but his approach is that it's not as important, but that the good that you're doing is important and it will all work out fine. And then my middle one loves money and is interested in making money. And he thinks it's kind of the, I forget if it's Bonnie who says this, but the idea that you, that the money is the way to make the world a better place. So the total opposite. But what I can see is they just, they think really strongly about it. And I have a feeling that it came, it clearly came from me, not my husband, because he just is very neutral about it. Although maybe it's their reaction to him. So I just think you should 
we should be really thoughtful about it in both our relationships because it can cause a lot of strife. And if I look back, like if I had just let it go and not worried about it, it would have been way better. Like it's all turned out fine and it didn't need to, we didn't need to have so many of these conversations and angst and, and my kids didn't need to see hear it or see it and carry it with them either. Right. It's like, it's just part of life. No. I and mean, it's hard. It's hard to know exactly what, what you're supposed to do and say sometimes it's just like, there's no perfect recipe. So you just have to be the best parent and best example you can be. Like even now, my daughter will be like, if we lose, I think we lost one of her favorite books one time. And I was just like, oh, don't worry, you know, don't worry about it. I'm just going to order another one on Amazon, you know, because it was like $5 or something like that. And then, but I have to be careful with that message because something else broke or something. And then she's just like, oh, mommy, well, let's just order another one on Amazon. And I'm just like, okay, I'm like, okay, well, Shanila, do you have any money? You know, and I have to teach her because all these things cost money. We can't just reorder everything. Well, I think your message that you said in the beginning is there's no right way to do it. And that's true for marriages, money, parenting. And just one of the things that I like to say a lot is grace and compassion. Like you did your best in the moment with the information you had. And if you show up with good intent, you know, I know intention isn't everything, but that's really, you just have to do your best. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is actually great. This is great for me because I feel like me and Victor are so strong into like financial freedom fast. And, and it's like, yeah, we do have to slow down, enjoy our time too. Like going part-time for me was a big deal last year because of the money issues. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to be making a lot less and is the time worth it? And of course, yeah, after being part-time for a year, totally worth it. I would not go back. Plus I get to do things like interview you and spend time with my, with my kids. But yeah, it's like, okay, I, I really don't need to change other people when they don't when their goal is not financial freedom fast or something like that, you know, it's, we all have our different ways of looking at it. So that's perfect. And, and just the awareness that you were aware about you kind of wanting your husband to think a little bit differently. And then they're like, Oh, wait a second. He's taught me this, you know, where you could have blamed him for 28 years. And now you're just like, Oh gosh, he gave me the gift of this, of time and all this kind of stuff. I think that's beautiful. Well, and that's the part, perhaps, I know you asked at some point, like what I wished I had done differently. I wish I'd figured that out a long time ago, but you only do your best. I think, you know, as physicians, again, we're always trying to fix and worry and make sure it works out and plan and this and that. And like, I do wish that I had, and I did have fun. It's not that I didn't, but that I had spent a little more time being more present and being more mindful and just enjoying the ride with all the bumps. So what, what do you say along this ride has been like your smartest financial decision you've you've made over the past several years of your life. Well, this let's see, the smartest. So I live in California, so buying a house was smart and staying in it. So that was very much smart. Well, we actually didn't buy our house until late. So it would have been smarter to do it earlier. And that was actually when you talk about like the money conversations, that was a big difference in our perspective. Like my husband was he's much more conservative and but anyway, so buying our house and staying in it. So we're not like flipping houses or moving around, but but staying there and probably being, we're pretty minimalist in terms of we don't have a lot of stuff. And so I think that is really helpful, but probably the best financial decision would be to stay married because that's expensive and invest kind of in your relationship. I think of the times when our relationship wasn't going well, that's when I spend a lot of money on other things to try to feel better. And so just to like actually 
invest in the relationship. And then the other thing for me, which has worked out well for me, is that I told my children they had to go to state schools. Now we live in California and the UC system is really good. But I told them that as freshmen in high school, like, you know, unless you something, you know, like the most incredible opportunity ever, you're pretty much going to a UC school, which means that you have to do well and you have to get in. And, you know, I will say that if something terrible happens, I would reconsider. Right. But, but I think that that messaging that, you know, or they would have to help pay for it. And, and those are not cheap either times three. I just want to point out, it's still like, you know, $150,000 a pop, but it's not $300,000 a pop. And so I, that for us, I think has been a wise financial decision. I've heard, I've had a lot of friends who criticize me for that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell them that up front and see what happens. And so far it's worked out well. And I think my kids got a great education and I think it also made them appreciate the value of it. And I wasn't just going to fund whatever they thought was exciting at the time. And it made them work hard and it made them kind of buy into it. And so that's why I have been criticized for being mean. And I, I, Again, I haven't had to like, I'm not actually that mean. I'm pretty much a soft parent. So we'll see what happens in the end if it doesn't work out. But it's that pre-messaging, I think that was really important. And that sort of got them. It's kind of like you saying, we're going to rebuy this and rebuy this. And so just setting up like that, you're not going to rebuy it all the time. Like this is one of those things that we have to be careful with. And so I think that was a very smart financial decision. And as I think about a lot of other people, you know, we want to do everything for our kids. And yet I also, you know, if you have two or three, it's a lot and it's a long time. And who knows what the world will look like when your kids are going to college. But for us, that's been a a wise conversation. And then anything else, anything else we haven't talked about yet? Any stories we haven't covered regarding medicine, marriage, or money that you want to leave our audience with? I guess I get back to this idea of not just like not fixing. And I learned for a long time, I've been working on like accepting and allowing everything just as it is, which is a very mindful approach. But this year, I'm trying to shift a little bit into actually appreciating, not just accepting and allowing. And I think that's like the next level of that. And I think when we talked about the story of like our many differences and appreciating what you have and appreciating your differences and appreciating what you can learn from one another and your different styles and different approaches, because none is better than the other. I think we think it is. There's some magic secret. Tell me the secret. And so just really appreciating in part what you have and your differences and how you can help each other grow can be a really powerful tool. And that takes mindfulness. And it took I will say I didn't start there. It reminds me of a lot of my coaching interactions where we start with maybe getting to neutral about something and then you can get to the next level and then you can get to your appreciation. And it isn't that Pollyanna idea of just appreciate everything either. But I think that when you can start to do that, that brings me back to that like amazingness. And when you're really like, if I'm looking forward to the next 20 years, I'm, that I think is really the direction that I'm hoping to go in, knowing that we're all learning and growing and who knows what we'll be facing after last year. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> 2021, it's going to be an amazing year. And I always say, you know, it's never too late to have a really good 2022 because we could kind of change how we thought it went. Yeah, exactly. Tell your story. I'm actually, I think that's a really amazing tool. And same thing for your marriage and same thing for your money, right? Tell the story that it was great. 
because why not? And actually, when you look back, I think so many people are saying this was great and that was great and this was great. And so tell the story of your marriage that way, because you can always tell a bad one, too. But why not choose a good one and tell the story of your children's upbringing and your decisions? Make them all good decisions, because those were the decisions you made. You can make a different one now. But now you have a lot more information than you had then. So. Well, perfect. This was so amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Jesse Mahoney, for coming on my show. And I, I learned so much. I mean, I'm, I'm actually aware of so much other things. So and I'm already actually, I'm ready to like go do some yoga after this too. Oh, well, join me. I would love to have you join me in any of my yoga classes. If you want, we're not dancers. I know you do TikTok dancing, but um, I, therefore I know you could do yoga. Oh, that's right. Because you do virtual yoga. Yes. So I do virtual yoga as part of my work through the Mindful Healthcare Collective. And if anyone wants to join us there, we have a Facebook group and you all physicians and actually it's open to healthcare providers who are not physicians as well. You can join us and I do it almost every Saturday on Zoom. And so you can get the link through there. You can also get the link through my own website if you want to just go there, which is jessiemahoneymd.com. And there's a yoga page and you just, there's a button there that says, get the link and you sign up and it'll email you the Zoom link if people want to join me. It's at, it's been at nine o'clock Pacific time. I'm considering changing it to 10 actually starting next week because I love to walk on the beach before. And when I do it at nine, I run out of time every time. So I was like, oh, I just decided in 2020. I know it makes it a little bit harder for East Coast people. That's why I had picked nine. But now I'm going on 10 months of teaching it. And I was like, you know, I could shift it or maybe I'll shift to 930. So it will be posted on my website, whether um, I'm going to decide this week which one to do. Oh, perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Such a great show with Dr. Jesse Mahoney. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to Larry Keller of Physician Finance Services for your disability insurance needs. He's been around for a while in many physician communities, helping them with the coverage they need. Find Larry at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Larry Keller. Oh my gosh, so beautiful, Dr. Jesse Mahoney. I could listen to that voice all day long, do some yoga by the beach. Okay, so so my big take-home points from Dr. Jesse Mahoney. Number one, when feeling stuck, Jesse loves to ask herself these two questions. One, what would love do? And two, what would compassion do? Well, love would let people show up exactly as they are. Sometimes we cannot fix things. And as physicians, we always want to be fixing things. But most of the time, the other person in our relationship doesn't need us to do the fixing. They actually have to do the fixing themselves. So we can just love them. We can have compassion and hold that space for love and compassion. And having more compassion for for ourselves also will allow us to grow in any situation uh, in life, regardless if people might see, see a situation as a failure or a strain or in an argument. Love and compassion. What would love do? What would compassion do? Number two, the grass is greener where you water it. <laughs> 
different than the grass is not greener on the, the other side, right? The grass is greener where you water it. It is where you decide, where you are being intentional, where you're being mindful, where you show up. So it's not necessarily better somewhere else, right? It's, I wanted for a long time for my hubby to be social, Dr. Mahoney said. And then she realized that what she needed was to just to be social herself. She's a natural social butterfly and she can come home after her outings and be with her husband who does not wish to do that, right? She can go out and he can still stay at home and be her rock. So we have to think about this, you know, when we were wishing somebody was somehow different and, or maybe says something different to us than they said, or just acts and reacts in a different way. I mean, I know this is true for me all the time. I I, I wish people had a different tone. I, I'm like, even, you know, even my own husband, my, the love of my life. I'm like, Victor, why do you have to say it that way to me? But you know what? That's him. That's what he's going to say. And that's how he's going to say it. And it's my, it's my turn to decide how I'm going to interpret what he says or his tone, you know, because we all have them. So let's just put a little water on the lawn underneath us underneath our spouse, underneath our kids. Let's water it constantly. Water is the key to life. Number three, we spend a year planning for our wedding, sometimes more. Okay. Sometimes a little bit less, but the point of the story is we spend a long time planning for our wedding and no time planning for our marriage. Or maybe five minutes. Maybe maybe we had that 60 minutes pre-marital counseling session, right? 60 minutes. So how much time do you want to spend planning for your marriage? You can decide now. You can actually decide to plan that into your schedule right now. Write it down in your notebook. Make time to dedicate time to your marriage, to your loved one to any relationship you're working on in your life. And lastly, very short and sweet, number four, boundaries come from love. And I like this when I'm thinking about my children. I think this is what we were we were referring to in the interview. We we create rules and 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 regulations for our children they have to follow. And sometimes we may think we're being too strict, Maybe sometimes we are. I don't know. That's for for you to decide in your house, me to decide mine. But remember, boundaries come from love. So next time you find yourself creating a boundary for maybe yourself or maybe even your spouse or your in-laws, and you're creating a boundary, which I will have to actually go into that in a future episode, what exactly is a boundary? Remember, they don't come from annoyance or hatred or anger or frustration. A boundary comes from love. So you really have to get in that place of love before you start creating those boundaries. And if you want to work on these types of things like boundaries, creating more compassion or unconditional love in your life, this is what I do. This is what I do on a daily basis. This is what I do in my group coaching program and on my one-in-one coaching sessions. And if you're not quite sure what that means, hey, I've got a chance for you to sign up for free and just get on a a, a call with me. It can be 30 minutes. It can be 60 minutes. It's your time. And I can show you 
how I do these things. So come coach with me. I'd love to have you. Go to medicinemarriageandmoney.com and click I am ready and sign up for a coaching consult with me. I would love to talk to you. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, what would love do? What would compassion for me do? How can I be thoughtful about my money? How can I be thoughtful about how I discuss money in front of my children and spouse? And what message would I like to imprint upon this world? Something that stays even after I'm gone. And that is it, my friends. Thank you again for staying another Monday, whatever day it is you listen to this episode with me. I love it. Please go and spread compassion and love into this world and love with intention and mindfulness. So much love to you and your spouse. One quick thing too, for those of you who are new to listening to this show, I just like to remind you that there are a couple of fabulous Facebook groups that I, uh, me and my husband have on Facebook. One is for physicians. It's called Medicine, Marriage, and Money. And we talk about all things relationships. I would love to have you guys there. We, it's, a, it's like a it's like a free but private Facebook group for physicians where we just give each other support and post supportive words about what it's like to be in a relationship. Maybe sometimes funny memes, but it's a safe place to be. And then my husband also has his Facebook group. It's open to anybody called 39.6 Community. And it is all about finance, physician finance, not physician finance. He talks about investing in real estate, the car you drive, uh, the college funds that you're for your kids, how to invest for your retirement fund, everything and anything, taxes, how to save on taxes. So hop on over to the 39.6 community on Facebook. And sometimes I may just make a guest appearance at some of his Facebook live shows, but that's what he does. He does Facebook live shows several times a week, and that is his passion. He's an educator. He is a teacher. So I just wanted to plug that in there because I know I haven't mentioned my husband and well, uh, his show in a few months. So, and I'll, I'll be having him on. I know Father's Day is coming up here in, in a couple months. So I'm going to have to invite him back onto the show for a special Father's Day edition. So we can look forward to that. <laughs> Thank you guys. Love you. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.